0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omer Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This week's episode is about a design agency owner who wanted to get into the SaaS business. He didn't have any success building his own SaaS product, So he acquired one instead. The the SaaS product that he acquired already had some customers and recurring revenue. And he and his team improved the product and over time, more than doubled the recurring revenue. So he acquired another SaaS product and did the same thing again. And in the last few years, my guest has built a portfolio of six SaaS products, all through acquisitions. And he's still looking for more. The remarkable thing is that he's grown recurring revenue for his products without any marketing. He just focused on serving the existing customers better and improving the products. In this episode, we talk about how he acquired his first SaaS product, what he did to grow recurring revenue, what he looks for when acquiring SaaS products, and how he manages multiple products and businesses. It's a fascinating interview, and he really has an interesting setup. So, I hope you enjoy this. Today's guest is the founder of Simple Focus, a design agency that helps create user interfaces and digital products. The company's clients include brands such as Starbucks, Oracle, and the US Air Force. But this agency is a little different because it also has its own portfolio of software products. This includes Pulse, a cash flow management software for small businesses, Sifter, a bug and issue tracking app for nimble teams, and Ballpark, an invoicing and time tracking app that my guest acquired from MetaLab's founder, Andrew Wilkinson, who was also a guest on this show. And my guest recently just acquired another product called Curated, an app which helps you grow your audience by collecting and uh, sharing engaging content. So today I'd like to welcome JD Grafham. JD, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Omar.
0: Now, my my head is just exploding, kind of trying to think about how we're going to have a conversation about all these products. So maybe uh, it's easier just to start by talking about you. So... Uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, what gets you out of bed every day to, to work on all of these businesses that you have?
1: Well, that's an easy one for me, honestly, because at the, the beginning and the, and the end of every day, when I think about um, uh, what makes me happy, it's, it's realizing that I'm doing my part to create jobs. And as simple as that sounds, it really is about giving people the opportunity to go to work, and be happy and do what they were born to do. I love the product world. I love user experience and usability. So that's the space we play in, and those are the people that I've pulled together. And at the end of the day, it's really just incredible to hear about all the wonderful things that they're doing with their uh, free time and, and uh, you know, all that's really Enabled by the the salaries and the compensation and the benefits and the fact that they're not just completely zapped of energy when they go home at the end of the day.
0: Now, your your main business, Simple Focus, is based in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where you are, and I know you also have offices in in Portland, Oregon. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you started that business
1: and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, Chattanooga, five person office there.
0: ah, My apologies. I forgot that one. I did. I do remember reading about that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, um, I started simple focus in 2009. Uh, after I left uh, a full-time job working for Hilton worldwide, whose headquarters are here in Memphis, I worked at Hilton for three years, moonlighting and freelancing and, um, uh, Before I was at Hilton, at at one point, I had been fired from a previous job uh, because it just wasn't a good fit. And when I was fired and on my own, I got a little bit of taste of uh, what it means to be responsible for my own outcomes. And I learned a great lesson and kind of got addicted to the idea of being self-sufficient during that period of my life. But then I went back to work, got a job, and learned a lot working with Hilton and the wonderful people there. It was a really difficult decision to leave there because uh, the people were so great and the experience was so wonderful. But after three years of growing my freelancing business, it didn't make financial sense for me to make less money 40 hours a week than I was making as a freelancer in 20 hours a week. So I put in my notice. Um, I was real classy about it leaving and then started my company uh, the following Monday morning and simple focus began with just me in a spare bedroom and then it grew to a 265 square foot office within a few months with my first employee and the next thing you know I look up and it's been almost 10 years and I've got a portfolio of 10 businesses simple Focus is. Um, doing fantastic. It's um, employed, uh, you know, more people than I ever would have imagined, and we're doing work that's better than anything I could have ever done by myself. It's it's really been an incredible experience, but it took a lot of work.
0: So, when you were freelancing while you were working at Hilton, were you doing the same kind of work that you then continued doing when you launched Simple Focus?
1: Yeah, it was mostly branding and and marketing and website development. And then when Simple Focus started, um, you know, we took on any job uh, that we that we could because we needed to, uh, I needed to, and then eventually we needed to, you know, uh, pay for our livelihoods. Um, and you're just getting your business off the ground and you know, we weren't well-known or recognized at the time, and so we were just doing good work for whoever needed work. But I quickly found that I had a passion for, and we were really good at, UI design. So over time, we took on any UI project we could, um, doing, whether it was doing favors for people or whatever it took to get a UI project to prove ourselves, and I uh, eventually built up a really good reputation as usability experts and user experience experts and and really specialists in user interface. And that, of course, translates well to the product world.
0: Where did you learn about user interface design and usability?
1: I I guess I learned about it at Hilton. There's actually a funny story when I was working there. I just started and I was so naive. I was... Uh, a young twenty-something, and I had, you know, uh, not grown up very well off. My parents were hardworking and provided well for us, but when we traveled, we stayed at Motel Six. You know, we didn't stay at a Hilton. There was a project that I was on for a check-in kiosk that Hilton was doing, and I was going to be the designer for this project. And we were talking about the user experience and the journey for checking in. And the question came up about, you know, well, where should we place the check-in kiosk in the lobby? And I said, uh, I mean, personally, I'd I'd place it by the door of the hotel room. Why, why would you force somebody to park and walk into the lobby and then go get in their car and then drive around and park by the door to their hotel room? And they just kind of looked at me. Uh, Like, oh, gee, you you sweet little innocent boy. (laughs) Um, People don't park by the doors outside at Hilton Properties. People usually walk into the lobby and and go up the elevator because our doors are on the inside of the hotel. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed. But. You know, it was at that point, it, even though um, it was sort of an opportunity to laugh at, at, at um, you know, my innocence. Uh, one of the information architects, you know, what you would call a, a, a UX designer now, uh, pulled me to the side and she said, J.D., I, actually, I really, uh, you know, it was it was fun to laugh at you, but I, I really wanted to tell you that I could tell that, like, your comment, even though you didn't understand our product and service your comments showed that you really are thinking about the user experience and that sort of turned a light on in my head I was like oh okay so I'm naturally thinking about what goes into a good years experience even though I didn't have the vocabulary and the vernacular at that time for it because I was a young designer just with uh, one of my first jobs as a real web designer and um, and so I continued to, to, to learn more and, and grow my knowledge and, 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 and learn under these people at Hilton who, who already knew all this stuff and they taught it to me and I was like a sponge and I soaked it all up.
0: So you launched Simple Focus. Um, how were you getting the word out and and how did you start landing clients?
1: Man, um, what, the last year that I was working for Hilton, I went to lunch with somebody new in the Memphis design or tech community almost every single day of the week. I got on Twitter and all the social networks and found anybody in the business and said, let's go to lunch. Uh, I didn't really even ask. I said, hey, I'm in the business like you. I'm a whatever and you're a whatever, so I think we should know each other. No ulterior motives. let's do this Dutch uh, because... Omer, there's really something great about breaking bread with someone as a peer. So I wouldn't let them buy me lunch and I wasn't offering to buy their lunch. I said, let's go Dutch and just get to know each other. And I did that almost every single day for a year. Wow. That was good for networking. Now I did it intuitively. I did not do it in a schemy way. Right. I just did it because I was genuinely interested in meeting as many people. And I knew that If I did it authentically, it would be good for the business, but truly it was authentic. I really did just want to get to know everybody. And then anytime I would go to a networking opportunity or networking event um, after that year experience and I would shake hands with people, it would do the old American thing where you say, so what do you do for a living, you know? Anywhere I'd go, anybody I'd meet, you know, it would always come up and, um, you know, when they asked me, so what do you do? I'd say, well, I actually run a, a new web design company. Do you need a website in the same breath? Okay. <laughs> and um, it, nine times out of 10, it gets the same laugh that you just gave, right? Um, because this kid's wasting no time. Um, but at the same time, uh, Omer, one in three people gave an honest answer of actually yes. It's Interesting. And, and, it, and, it, and, and at that time, everybody literally did need a website. If you were, you know, at, at all, you know, self-employed or worked for a company, everybody, nobody likes their website. Everybody thinks they need a website, right? So that's how I did it. I mean, I just, I just got out there and pressed the flesh, made friends, hustled, told them what I did, and um, just got to know as many people as I could, and then whenever it was time for them to think about somebody that needed a website, I hope was that they would think of me and enough times they did.
0: And then how did you uh, land some of these bigger brands like uh, Starbucks and uh, Oracle? How how did they come about?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, So I'll go ahead and um, pull back the curtain a little bit on Starbucks. That was like a one-time job as a favor for a buddy. But it was a project for Starbucks. And no, we did not have a big contract with them, but we got the Starbucks logo, and until they tell me to cease and desist, it's gonna (laughs) be up there. Um, Because we did do a project for Starbucks. It was a really great project. It was for um, a pledge campaign that they did to get people to pledge five hours of volunteering. It was a great program they put in place, and uh, they would give you a free cup of coffee. And we did a landing page for that, or actually finished a landing page for for someone who had to walk away from the project. Um, but Oracle is in, is 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 the real deal. Um, so at the time, the company that we were doing the work for was called Right Now, and uh, we did the work for Right Now as a subcontractor with a partner here in Memphis, Tennessee, that specialized in customizing and configuring. Or configuring right now's product. Right now is a CRM that's been bought by Oracle and it's called like Oracle CX. It's all CRM, uh, customer experience software. And we've done a lot of projects on that platform over the years. But how we landed it, um, almost right after I quit my job at Hilton, I got a phone call from one of these people I'd gone to lunch with. And, you know, the, the short answer is, you plant a seed and then one day you look up and it's grown into a full grown tulip, right? Um well, well I guess you would plant a bulb <laughs> and it would turn into a tulip. So, you know, whatever. But yeah. I you kind of pop up overnight. Yeah. Um, way to go with that metaphor. <laughs> uh in any case, so there's a guy that I'd been to lunch with and he knew that I was good at the CSS, right? And um Helix had reached out to him uh, as a possible partner to help them with the look and feel on a project that they were doing for right now. Um, and this guy that I went to lunch with said, you know what, it's not a good fit, why don't you call JD? So I, I drove out to these guys' house, and they were starting Helix at the same time I was starting Simple Focus, and I went to his uh, his his dining room, where which was also his conference room, because he was getting his business off the ground. And We met and talked about it, and you know, in a whirlwind, um, that was like on a on a Friday. They said, "Can you can you get on a plane on Monday?" And I said, "Sure, sounds like fun." And we thought we were going there to pitch the Air Force. We were in half a day of meetings on that Monday in, in San Antonio with the Air Force, and right before we took a break for lunch, the um, customer said something to the effect of, "Well, just let us let us know when you're going to start." <laughs> So we went out in the hallway for lunch and you know walked off to the side and looked at each other and said, I thought we were here to pitch. I thought we were here to pitch too. And uh, so it sounds like it sounds like the, the deal's sold and we can, you know, just get to work. Yeah, it sounds that way. How much are we going to charge? I don't know. <laughs> How much do you want to charge? So, so we figured it out, and it ended up being a, a great relationship. That was for the United States Air Force, and that we did such a good job with that on such a tight turnaround that we made a really good reputation for ourselves in the right now um, ecosystem and have just, through Helix, have been really trusted partners since then, even through the Oracle acquisition. Helix continues to do a lot of work with Oracle, and we partner with Helix on these Oracle projects as well from time to time. So there you
0: go. Great story. Now, you have a a portfolio of, I think, six software products. And uh, it was something interesting that you pointed out to me before we started recording, is that you and your company haven't built any of these products. You've acquired all of them. So uh, just tell me about like how did you get into the business of acquiring mm. all these software businesses?
1: So you remember back when dig had a homepage that you know, if you got on the front page of dig, you know, you were, you were set. around <laughs> <Yeah. was about laughs> 2000 and what, uh, six, seven, eight. Um, so there was this, there was this time when, um, when agencies, uh, started getting, there was just a bunch of noise on the internet about how agencies wanted to get out of that client business and get into the product business. And um, 37 Signals made the slit, the switch, and everybody looked at that as the shining example of how this is supposed to go down, and all the agencies wanted to do that. I did too, you know. Um, well, in, in, in Memphis, there were a couple of guys who built... A product called pulse around this time what they did is they shut down their agency for a month and so we're going to build a product to show everybody that we can build a product because we want to switch our business over from coding websites for ad agencies to uh, to doing um, product design and development and uh, we want to prove that we can do it so what we're going to do is we're going to promote ourselves with with a little one-month app promotion so they blogged every day for a month and built an app in a month and it got on the front page of dig and was, you know, shared all over the internet and, uh, got a little bit of buzz. Um, and that's great. Um, because without all that buzz, that product never would have gone anywhere. Um, the, uh, the product was pulse. And so these guys are running pulse for years and years and after they had been running it for about six or so years, um, they were ready to kind of move on. Uh, and, and, uh, one guy wanted to go in the ministry full time. The other guy was like, he had a fat salary in San Francisco and, um, they, they were splitting the revenue from the business and it was just kind of a distraction for them. And so I talked to them about, well, hey, I want to um maybe buy your 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 product business. And I didn't even, um, or I didn't even know what the SaaS was, right? I just knew that this was a product business, right? And um and they, they didn't take me seriously uh, because I was just getting going. And so it it took three years of me pestering them and them being unable to sell it because it wasn't big enough for anybody to really be interested in. Uh, who had the money to afford it. And then after a while, they looked up, and I was still pestering them about buying this business from them.
0: Um, what was it and, about this business that that ha- made you so persistent for three years to want to buy it?
1: Well, so a couple of things. One is um, I knew it was just a really steady income stream, and the agency business cash flow is up and down, and that, that, that'll give you a freaking heart attack. Um, And so I wanted to stabilize the cash flow a little bit. Uh, The other reason was because, like 37signals, I wanted to do product, you know, Um, and we hadn't done product, and we tried to do product. And this is, you know, uh, one of my failures so far has been that I've never actually been able to launch a product, get it off the ground by myself. Um, But when I saw the opportunity to buy a product that was already off the ground, I was like, no, that makes sense. And if I can afford it, why wouldn't I just do that rather than, spending all this this money and resources from the agency side trying to build something that we don't know if it's going to grow or not because I've never really had a famous agency and I've never really had 20,000 Twitter followers or anything. So, um, you know, I don't have an audience that I can just say, you know, (laughs) magically tweet a link to this thing we built and have a hundred thousand people sign up. You know, I mean, that's the dream that everybody has and how it's supposed to be easy, but you know, I didn't have the audience for that. And, um, so it was hard to, uh, to sort of um, imagine myself being able to do that. And so what I did was I said, you know, let's short-circuit that and buy something that's got a customer base, that's got steady cash flow instead. And so after three years, um, these guys looked up, and saw that this, this, this freelancer who hired his first employee had been pestering us for years and years. Now he's got like 10 employees. Maybe he can afford this thing. Let's take him seriously. So we started talking numbers and put together a deal pretty quickly.
0: Um, I, I don't know if you can disclose what you paid for it or or how much money the um, Pulse was making at the time, but if, if you can't get into specifics, kind of tell, tell us a little bit about like how, how did you kind of... What, what did the math look like on this? Like, how did you figure out how much you should be paying for this?
1: Um, well, I mean, they came to me and um, and said we just really want to unload this thing and uh, offered it to me for one times the annual revenue. And I was like, hell yeah! And then they sort of were like, well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that was too easy. <laughs> so what about one and a half times, right? So, you know, I, I looked at that and I saw an 18 month payback if I didn't change anything. Yeah. That's, that's, that's obvious, right? That's, that's a no brainer to me. And, um, you know, but the, the more interesting story is how much I stressed about it because I told you the deal, the deal came together pretty quickly and, and I guess it did end. Um, but, even they were wiffle waffling and and, and, as was I. And and so there was a six month period where, um, I was pretty sure we're going to do a deal, but I was stressing about it because I'd never done anything like this, never spent this much money all at once. And, um, I would stress about it with, with my wife and and she, she would try and calm me down. And then, you know, after six months of this finally made up my mind that that we were going to do this. And she was cool with, with me. Um, you know, taking some of our savings, our personal savings for this, and then, um, you know, uh, keeping a little bit for a security blanket and then borrowing some from a bank and, and, and making this deal come together. And we have been stressing about it for six months, and I, I especially. And the night before, we were going to move the money and take over the app, I'm laying in bed, I can't sleep, and I'm stressing, and um, my wife says, she puts her hand on my chest to calm me down and she says, "Look, honey. You said it makes sense. I believe you. It does make sense. You know in 5 years, you're probably going to come home from work one day and tell me, "Oh, hey babe, I bought another app and it's like going to be 5 times as much money as this." <laughs> she says, "I know you and that's that's how this is going to go down." <sighs> Homer, it didn't even take two years for that to happen. Wow. So, um, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, specifics aside, uh, you know, this was an app that that wasn't making enough money to support, you know, anybody's salary, and, and you know, um, and especially wasn't making enough money for, for two people to, to, to split the salary for it to be worth it to them. So, you know, you can you can you can you can pretty quickly figure out that we're not talking about uh, you know a million dollar business or anything. We're talking about something that wasn't wasn't making uh, hundred thousand dollars. And, and uh, since then we've 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 doubled it, which is fantastic. But like I'm not trying to 10x any businesses that I buy. I'm trying to get my hands on them, um, improve them conservatively and modestly over time, and grow them. In a healthy and organic and natural way, and that's that's what I've been doing ever since then.
0: Okay, so so Pulse, we, we talked about this earlier as a cash flow management software for small businesses. Uh, so you you kind of you, you you make the deal, you 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 now own the business. Um, I, I guess there's the the logistics of actually uh, you know, transferring over the domain and the code and and you know the back end and everything to uh uh to kind of finalize the deal and and sort of officially get you in the driving seat. Did you uh, sort of did you sort of have a strategy on on how you were gonna grow that product from the outset? or were you just sort of initially like, hey, even if I do nothing, for the next eighteen months, I'm good, and so like, I just I'm just trying to figure like, when did you feel comfortable and and sort of when did you see success from your own efforts to to acquire new customers for this business?
1: So when I bought Pulse, priority number one was don't screw it up.
0: <laughs> good priority.
1: So I'm not going to say that we didn't change anything. Um. But what I will say is I didn't buy it with a roadmap in mind. If I'm being completely honest, when I bought it, I still didn't really even get it. It was a cash flow management app. Um, It obviously had value to the people who were using it for three plus years at a time. Because the customers that use Pulse stick around for a long time. Um, But... As a fairly young business owner at the time, I didn't really get the pain of cash flow management. I had always fairly easily made more money than I spent in the agency business. And while I had cash flow fluctuations up and down, they were always so far above zero that it wasn't a huge deal. I just wanted even less stress when I went to buy a SaaS. Um, but, uh, when I got my hands on Pulse and, and I didn't want to screw it up, um, what I did do was talk to customers and go about understanding the product. Um, and I spent a long time doing that. Um, at, you know, at first I was like, okay, we're going to spend six months and just really just do customer support and talk to the customers and understand why they like Pulse so much. What is it that they get out of it? And I was going to use the product and, and I did. And and, um, and And frankly, what we realized was it does what it does really well, it was just, it just had some really bad technical debt. And that technical debt was causing crashes, and even in spite of the crashes for three years before we bought it, every month or two, it would just go down hard for about 24 hours. Customers still were patient and stuck around because the tool had that much of value and the business was flat for that three years. We came in and did really good customer support responded a lot more timely to sales inquiries, and we fixed the performance and speed and um, you know, got rid of some of the technical debt. Those two things alone, and a, like a slight reskin on the marketing site where we didn't really even change the strategy on the marketing site, we just kind of freshened it so it looked a little bit more contemporary. And those are really the only three things we did in the first 18 months while I was paying it back, because I did not want to take any big chances. And in that amount of time, you know, it grew because we were just taking better care of it um, and fixed some of the really bad problems. And, you know, it's doubled and it's on its way to tripling. Um, so that's really that was really the strategy was was don't go in there and screw it up. Go in there and be really conservative. Make sure they get my money back. Because that was the promise I made the wife was I'm not going <laughs> to lose this money, babe. Um, I'm going to make sure that it pays itself back before I try anything. And Omar, I'm not I'm not I'm not bragging about this, but there was one thing, for example, that I didn't change in 18 months until it was paid back. Um, When we ran your credit card, we didn't send you a confirmation email. Because I was scared to death that if I started emailing people confirmation emails, they're going to get ticked off and be like, oh, Rose is paying for this and we cancel.
0: Wow. Um,
1: So it hadn't been doing that, and so I didn't start doing it. But when it was paid back, um, when it, once it was paid off, I was like, okay, okay, we need to do what's right here. So, so, you know, we had moved it over to Stripe and it was a lot easier to get confirmation emails sent out and just have to check a checkbox. And so we did that.
0: And, and did and so you, was, and did people start canceling?
1: No, <laughs> no. People watch their bank accounts. <laughs> they know. Um, I have a hypothesis and it'd be hard to tr- to, to test, but I have a hypothesis that it's, that it's well under 5% of customers on any SaaS app with significant revenue who um, who have set it and, for, and forgotten about it. Um, and uh, and I bet only half of them care. Wow. Half of them blame themselves and they say, well, I should know better. I do get the emails and I still, you know, I forget, you know. And then the other half are the ones that are like, well, I should get my money back, you know, and um, it's not because they blame you. Um it's because they probably just need the money, you know, and um, can't afford to just be wasteful with their money. And, you know, even if it's, um, you know, quote unquote, only $14 a month, $14 a month is a significant expense to a lot of small business owners.
0: So you, you wanted to get into the SaaS business after years of persisting, you're able to acquire Pulse. Uh, you, you've you kind of, the, the priority is to make sure that you, you recoup your investment uh, don't screw anything up. And then you're you're talking to customers and figuring out what they like about the product and how you can make it better, improving support and so on. And then you're starting to see some results from that. Mm-hmm. Now, that, at that point, a lot of people would have said, okay, great. We're in the SaaS business. Let's figure out how we can take this from you know, uh, a business that's doing less than six figures a year to multiple six figures, maybe a million dollar business. Um, Most people don't say, let's go out and acquire another software product. So when did that happen and what was the decision that drove you to do that?
1: Um, Well, I wasn't really actively looking to grow a portfolio at the time, but I think it was like New Year's Eve. I just happened to notice a tweet from Andrew Wilkinson um, that ballpark was for sale, and I remembered ballpark because in the footer of their marketing site, in my competitive research for Pulse, I had come across it before because it said it did cash flow management, and I thought, okay, well, there's some overlap there. Uh, maybe I ought to ask him about this. Turns out, ballpark had been for sale for a year and hadn't sold. Um, Andrew's got a great post out right now about probably why it hadn't sold because selling a business is a huge pain in the butt. I came in and said, hey, Andrew, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. I love Ballpark. I kicked the tires. It's a great product. I looked at the numbers. We struck a deal, and we were done within like four to six weeks. It happened really fast. It was really simple. Um, the reason I liked Ballpark uh, was because in four to six weeks – with a transaction and I was fortunate enough to be able to scratch together the money, uh, you know, that's not lost on I me. Mean, that's not easy. <laughs> um, and everybody can't do it, but, uh, because I could, I was able to, um, you know, grow my revenue, um, in, in, in a four to six week transaction rather than, um, over 18 to 24 months of just scratching and clawing with pulse.
0: Okay, and and so you've got the so ballpark was the second product that you took on, and then um, you've you've acquired, I guess, th- four more products after that, and the most recent of which is curated. So so you can say, okay, if the first one got you into the SaaS business, the second one was kind of just, uh, I guess an opportunity that you kind of came across. You weren't necessarily thinking about growing a portfolio and, um, you know, a, a, sort of Andrew's sort of, you know, tweet was timely because it kind of opened up another opportunity for you. Um, and then it just turned into growing this, this portfolio. Um, now, the the thing that's interesting for me is a, a lot of, well, most of the time, you know, the conventional wisdom we hear is focus on one thing, right? You know, don't try to get distracted yeah. with too many things, you know, whatever. And I think generally that's, you know, that's solid advice. And a lot of people have said, hey, when I was trying to juggle too many things, I really wasn't... um having the breakthrough in my business that I wanted to or hoped for. But when I really was disciplined about saying, I'm going to focus on one thing, uh, I really started to to see, uh, you know, significant results or, or growth in my business. And I've, you know, we've read books like, I mean, it's, it's a Gary, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who wrote The One Thing, which mm-hmm. I remember reading some years ago and, and trying to sort of, uh, talk myself into the importance of the one thing. But, um, you know, I'm somebody who struggles with doing one thing because when I'm motivated and energized by three different things, I want to do all three things, right? Why do I have to choose when when all three things are, are interesting, they give me joy, I feel like they're moving forward. Maybe if I was doing one, I'd, I'd move forward a lot faster. But I'm less interested in that because I have the variety and, and the opportunity to to work on on these other things um, but so I guess my point is that there, there may be a few people out there who who maybe enjoy that, but generally uh, anybody going, going going into this sort of business would be said would be told no, don't try to buy all these products, focus on one thing and so uh, but it seems to be working for you. so wh- why do you think that is?
1: I mean, no, nobody tries to tell Richard Branson to focus, right? <laughs> like, why not? I mean, yeah, he's all over the place, too. I mean, the, the truth is I was, I'm, I'm really fortunate in that Simple Focus grew up and became a very profitable agency, very healthy business. And because of that, I have a lot of firepower at my disposal. And by firepower, I mean a very motivated, very smart, very loyal, and 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 to me, very big and uh, effective and efficient team to mm-hmm. whom I can delegate and trust to do what's right by the customer and to make a good user experience. So I am just feeding them. And... Um, the apps are treated by simple focus as clients and agencies are already set up to manage multiple clients Omar, so the model works great
0: oh i see uh, so so you kind of almost yeah. treat them as another client yeah that's a, yeah that's an interesting yeah I, n- I never even thought about it that way but yeah i mean if, if you're running an agency business it kind of totally makes sense
1: they don't have employees the businesses, the, the apps, they don't have employees. They're standalone LLCs that pay Simple Focus. Now, there are times when Simple Focus's clients come along and have more money to pay, um, and they get precedent, and that's where uh, the, the glory of SaaS comes into play. You can put it on maintenance mode or a couple ticks above maintenance mode for a month if you want to, and it's not going to go away the customers are going to continue to get the service, it's going to continue to perform, it's going to continue to do what they want, whether somebody's sitting there freaking out over the semantics of the code base or not. Omer, um, I'm like you. I, I get bored when um, I've got to stare at the same thing uh, day in and day out. But on the other hand, um, you know, my, my area of focus is building this portfolio of SaaS apps, you know, um, and when I put that hat on, that's what I'm doing and sometimes I'm in agency mindset and that's my focus, I switch between those two things. So I see the I see the portfolio of apps as a single unit, right? I don't see it as a scattered brain collection. A lot of our customers on the apps are similar types of customers, it's all B2B. They're all small businesses. Um, so it's not as it's not as manic as it seems.
0: So who, who thinks about the product and what direction to take it? Is that something that you get involved in or you, you delegate that to members of your team? And, and then secondly, who thinks about marketing and growth or do you really sort of build off the customer base that's already there?
1: You're assuming we think about marketing and growth <laughs> um that's 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 an assumption i want to challenge the growth that that we're uh, achieving is through acquisitions that's my primary source of growth i have acquired um apps that are stable some of them are growing a little bit but i'm not trying to hockey stick anything right um, as far as the product side, I mean that's what we're already set up for at Simple Focus. That's 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 how I'm wired. That's how my team is wired. Um, I take a lot of responsibility for the product vision on Pulse because I'm a business owner and I get it. Like I told you in the beginning, I didn't get it. Now I get it. Now I am, frankly, a cash flow expert. Um, you know, I know everything that goes into managing cash flow. And I am, um, you know, I am the, the main driver of the vision behind where Pulse is heading. And Pulse is heading in, in some great direct, in a great direction. Um, it's got some great features that we just launched. Um, the product's vastly expanding. And, um, and I'm really excited about that. But uh, there's a guy on the team that our customers know and love. Um, he's there for them. He is the... Um, the product manager for all the the products and he does all the customer support and frankly the customer support volume is so low because they're B2B and we don't have tens of thousands of customers that he handles and uh, the customer support for all of them and does context switching pretty well Um, Calvin Morris Calvin Morris is a great asset to have on our team and um, uh, really gets the vision here and uh, is excited as we um, you know continue to grow and, and just just he, he kind of uh, groans every time I tell him about something else that I found out that's for sale. <laughs> uh, but then when it's time to close, he digs in and onboards the, the new product and figures out who's going to be uh, doing maintenance on it, anything that needs to happen to the product or the UI, the usability. And, and then he settles in and gets to know the product over the first six months, gets to know the customers over the first six months before we go in and start screwing with the founder's vision, you know. Uh, we really want to take a conservative, long-term, and patient approach to these businesses because they're already in a good place when we buy them. And kind of like with Pulse, when I bought it back in the beginning, we don't want to screw it up. Um, and I know people are um, sometimes a little bit more impatient about that, want to see us make bigger changes right away, but frankly, that's just not the business we're in. What we're going to do is we're going to take care of the customers and make sure that we don't, we don't um, break any promises that have been made to people about what the product is there to be to to do.
0: Cool, yeah. Shout out to Calvin. Now Hello. I want to, yeah, I want to go back uh, kind of when uh, we talked about growth because let's say you're bringing in a product, it has an existing set of customers. If you're not thinking about marketing and growth, um, and unless you have a product which has zero churn. At some point, people are going to start moving on or canceling their accounts or whatever. So, surely you have to be doing some sort of marketing to, if if nothing else, to maintain the number of customers that you have.
1: Sure. Well, one of the things I look for when I'm buying an app is something that, and this is just common business sense, right? It's, you know, it's in a crowded market, um, more than likely, and which 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 gives you your market validation. Uh, it's not faddish, right? Um, it's got a good marketing website that tells its story and converts people. And it's got good inbound organic SEO and referrals. And and frankly, you, I can't do anything to make, make that perform any worse. And so if it's already getting 200 visitors a day, or 300 visitors a day organically and has been on its own because people are looking for invoicing and time tracking software... You know, and we're doing okay on Google for that. And we've got articles that link to us. um, And that's going to build people's awareness organically. And so we are thinking about marketing, but we're being very conservative with it. We're dipping our toes in the water. And that's one of the reasons that um, I pursued the curated deal is because it is a marketing platform. Um, It is for building an audience. And I think that that's what we need to you know, add into our arsenal is, is, is a growth and marketing mindset, but on a fundamental level, um, high growth is not a requirement for me. Um, I am first and foremost concerned with having a good product that takes care of the customers and managing it in a way that, um, that, um, you know, if it grows, it's probably growing slowly and organically over time, rather than trying to, you know, pour gasoline on it. And I'm not, you know, um, you know, proud of that, so to speak. Um, it's just something that I'm being very patient about. And um, as we uh, grow our own marketing expertise, we'll get better at marketing, and that's naturally going to make its way into our products, and they're going to start growing from that marketing. But right now. You know, um, we're just getting started.
0: Okay, so if I understood this correctly, when you're thinking about acquiring a SaaS product, you're looking at number one: is it in a in in the right market? Is is there a sizable market opportunity there um, for for you? Secondly, is is there a good marketing website that clearly explains what the value prop is and and provides the the funnel for people to um you know either sign up for a trial account or pay for the product or whatever it is and then thirdly you're looking for some existing organic uh SEO type traffic that's already there Um, and so if those three things are there, then it sounds like what you're doing is in saying, okay, if we acquire that product, number one, you're going to focus on customer retention above everything else in terms of, uh, trying to improve the product for the existing customers, provide great customer support. Um, secondly, potentially through conversion of, you know, the marketing website and, and getting more of that organic existing organic traffic to, to sign up for the product and then growth is sort of something that you're now looking more into, but even without a, a kind of a concerted effort on that, you've still been able to successfully, um, acquire these, these different products.
1: That's exactly right. It's like you're in my head.
0: (laughs) Now have all the products that you've acquired been successful? Has it always worked out for you so far?
1: Well, um, by, by my measurements, yes. By many people's measurements, no. And that's been something that, that, that is kind of an itch for me, right? Because, you know, there's, there's conventional wisdom out there that says if you're not growing, you're, you're dying, you know. And, and frankly, something losing 10% revenue um, over a year's time is not the end of the world for me um because like i said i'm really really patient in business and so what i want to do is understand why it lost that 10% revenue not panic and start throwing features and marketing at it um you know uh because i want to just be a good steward of the product and so uh as far as returns financially are concerned i am well within the guardrails of my plan um and uh and so you know that's certainly the case um, but, you know, anytime I've, I've tried to start up a, a product, I haven't succeeded and that's been a source of frustration for me. Um, but that's not because the products haven't been good. It's just because, um, you know, we, we haven't figured out how to, um, you know, communicate the value and do the marketing piece yet. Uh, the, the there, there is one product I bought that we ended up selling, uh, because it was underperforming, um. But I don't count it as a failure because I made a return on it um, and uh, walked away with a profit. the 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 product was Pop Survey, and it had a lot of technical debt, and it was um, shedding customers. Uh, the problem was it was such a small app. Um, it, it started out with like thirty thousand in revenue, and it got down to you know less than twenty, and it was. Um, continuing to contract a little bit. And someone reached out interested in buying it. They weren't interested in buying it for the revenue. They wanted to um, experiment with a pricing model because they were already in the survey business. Mm. And so we made a quick deal and sold it to him um, for a fair price. And uh, I walked away. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, for some people a failure, but for me, just a learning experience. I learned that um, there is a threshold for how small I can go on an app, even no, no matter how, how good the, the price is, that is that an app that's making less than about $50,000 a year, um, doesn't give me the margins that I need, um, or want. Um, even though I am looking for small apps, something that's under $50,000 just isn't worth it. And I learned that lesson and I'm going to get out without getting burned too bad. Um, one time I bought an app that was, um, the annual recurring revenue was, uh, you know, I don't want to say inflated, but the multiple that I bought it on was based on an influx of cash from about ten months ago that we didn't get to realize, and so the price was a little bit inflated. And um, all it means is that I paid market rate for it rather than below market rate, like I thought I was paying. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get burned there. I just learned a lesson, uh, and I think that's the the takeaway is Anytime something does come up that that you know i've I've failed at um i don't i don't let it make me feel like a failure i don't um you know maybe i'm spinning it for myself or maybe i'm spinning it for you but at the end of the day um they're just lessons learned and there's enough stability and everything else that um it just feels like part of the business
0: i I don't think that's spin at all i think that's a that's a fantastic attitude to have and um, you know, we're, we're all going to have those setbacks, failures, you know, whatever you call them. But in in many ways, what you call them is going to determine how you overcome them, right? Or don't overcome mm-hmm. them. So I think that's mm-hmm. a great, great attitude to have. One thing I'm curious about in terms of the technology, uh, do you always look for the same kind of tech stack? Like are all these kind of Absolute, Rails absolutely. apps?
1: Absolutely, because if, if these were all on different, tech stacks, that would be a huge pain. So I am looking for Rails apps. We have one that's like on Node, and it's just, it's a thorn in our side. Um, and, um, you know, we thought it wasn't going to be that big of a deal, but it just takes longer because the developer who we have on it, she's uh, she's got less experience with Node and more experience with Rails. And so she's faster on Rails apps than she is on this one.
0: Yeah. I think it's fascinating that, you know, we started out talking and you said, Hey, I've never had any success building a SaaS product, yet at the same time, that hasn't stopped you, and you've gone out there and successfully acquired six SaaS products, and have found a a model to keep all of those running very efficiently. From the sounds of it, um, and and now I think as you start to focus. Uh, more on growth. It's going to be really f- interesting to see uh, how um, you know, even if there isn't a hockey hockey stick kind of growth there, what you can do with these businesses. And so, you know, that's something I'd love to follow up with you. You know, maybe in the next year, and we see how how things are going there. But you know, I, it's it's a really unique approach that you're taking, and and I think it's fascinating.
1: Thank you. I'd love I'd love to do that. I mean, where we're at now, these businesses are all operating between eighty and eighty five percent margins. Um, and that's sort of my target is to get about a 40% return annually so that if I can pay them back in less than three years, I'm happy after I cover my expenses. And, um, and then after that, after, you know, their, their debt is, you know, quote unquote serviced, uh, once they paid themselves back, then I'm willing to take a significant cut, I think, in their margins and start investing more heavily in them so in a lot of ways the way i did it with pulse in the beginning is let's take our time not over invest not screw this up and then when it's paid for do things the right way so just like i turned on the email notifications once it was once all the risk was gone from pulse and it was all you know free money so to speak i plan to continue to do the same thing with all my acquisitions take Take, take my time in the beginning, get my feet under me, make sure that the business is giving me the return. And then um, and then once once everything's paid back, um, you know, Katie bar the door.
0: Love it. I love it. All right, uh, let's get on to our lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. I'll do my best. All right, let's do it. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received?
1: Business is more common sense than you think.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: I'll I'll give you two answers. The first answer is um is 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 books about uh the <laughs> war. War. <laughs> yeah, books about war. Um specifically books about war that are written um from by the warriors themselves because they're easy to read, they're simple stories, they document what happened that this person observed, and you could draw your own meaning from them. And they're also very inspirational and motivational. Um, The courage uh, that comes across in these books is just very inspirational to me. And uh, these people have good hearts, even though they're in a very difficult situation. The second answer is, you should read Bit Literacy by Mark Hurst. Bit Literacy turned my life around. I don't think I'd be in business today if he didn't teach me how to manage um, my email. Wow, I haven't
0: heard of that book.
1: It's yeah, I'll cool. have to check yeah. it out it's a, it's a great book. I mean, it, it gives you the tools to manage all this uh, data flying at you and all these bits that you have to process from emails and, and newsletters and all this and, 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 and all the things you have to remember to do. It gives you a methodology for dealing with that in a way without using gimmicky software.
0: Cool. Uh, what's that one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: Um, I'd say it's gumption, um, maybe perseverance. the The reason I say that is because there's this there's this um, there's this thing that there's a story I like to tell, and I'll I'll be brief, Omar. Um, when I was a when I was in high school, there was a, it was a really windy, choppy day on the lake, but me and some friends went out on the lake. And uh the ski boat was pulling us around on an inner tube and you were to hold on to the inner tube while they tried to sling you off and it was really wavy and choppy and nobody could hold on. But everybody was having a good time getting thrown off. And when it came to be my turn to get on the inner tube, I held on and refused to let go. And <laughs> they rode me around for fifteen minutes trying to sling me off until they just had to stop the boat and say, JD, let somebody else get on. Nobody's <laughs> having any fun. That's funny. <laughs> and, And I slid off almost completely broken because um, my hands hurt. It wasn't fun holding on. It was painful. But I did it anyway um, because I'm that kind of person. And I think that is a characteristic that business owners need is that ability to persevere. And even though I was in so much pain and it was miserable, I wasn't going to let go. I'm not the kind of person to let go. I don't give up. Business owners don't give up. Even if they're not having a good time, they're having a good time. Because when I slid off of there and I floated in my life vest and I caught my breath and I began to feel the sting in my hands from holding on for 15 minutes to that rope, um, it felt good to know that they couldn't
0: throw me off. I love that. Love that. Um, What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: Uh, Well, it comes from bit literacy. Uh, I learned about text expanders. These things save me more time than anything else. Um, And uh, I guess the whole bit literacy methodology. Uh,
0: What's uh, a new business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Or what's uh, the next acquisition that you've got cooking (laughs) you want to talk about? (laughs)
1: Um, You know, if I could start uh, a business and sort of walk away from the technology world I would design trailers, and what I mean is like the kind of trailers you hook up to the back of a truck or a car, uh, and that you might pull a, a, you know, a four-wheeler or, or a lawnmower or a motorcycle around in. Here's why. Because if you know anything about trying to hook a trailer up to a hitch on the back of a pickup truck or your car, um, it's not an easy thing to do. So uh, these things are like designed and built and manufactured by you know welders, like guys in a shop. There's no there's no artfulness um, or usability to them. It's just pure function, and it creates an intimidating uh, product that that um, makes people think, oh well, trailers are. are I don't, I I don't know how to do a trailer, you know, and even me having grown up around trailers my entire life and and hooking up my, my pontoon boat to my truck, I still find myself trying to, uh, you know, pinching my fingers and having to hop up on the back of the truck and jump up and down to try and get it to connect. And like, I'm kicking it and, and, and trying to get this thing to connect. I feel like I would start a business that would, that would do to trailers what OXO did to kitchen utensils. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Love it! All right, uh, what's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: I had a job in college repossessing cars.
0: <laughs> I guess that you must have been popular. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, I and another one is that I am actually a poet as well.
0: Wow, that's uh, quite a combination.
1: Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I think that the answer to the next question you want to ask me is about passion outside of work. Yeah. I, I love writing and I'm a poet, but I have to say that that, that truly it is um, being the husband and father, and, and you know, um, that I was meant to be my my, my wife and my kids um, and, and, and my mom and dad and the son, you know, be, you know just being a family person.
0: Uh, what's your wife's name? My wife, Katie. Katie, so so that conversation that uh, she had with you those years ago, when you were um, maybe second guessing yourself about that first acquisition, and she kind of uh, kind of gave you the reassurance you needed to move forward. I guess that that belief in you has has kind of paid off in in many ways, right? And in terms of uh, you're doing exactly what she described all those years ago.
1: Yeah, she's what keeps me going.
0: That's awesome. Awesome. Love that. JD, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for making the time to do this. I love this conversation. I'm sorry we went uh, kind of overscheduled uh, a bit on this, but... Uh, I, it's,
1: it's it's really no big deal. Your listeners deserve it.
0: Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, if uh, folks want to find out more about Simple Focus, they can go to simplefocus.com. And uh, you can also check out uh, JD's personal website, which is graph, G-R-A-F-F dot A-M. And uh, both from there and Simple Focus, they can link off to uh, all the products, um, both in terms of Simple Focus and Uh, Clear Function is another agency business that we didn't even get a chance to talk about, um, as well as the software portfolio that you have and all the products there. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you, what's the the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, You know, I love it when people talk to me on Twitter. It's just JD Grapham on Twitter. Um, You can also just email me, JD at SimpleFocus.com.
0: Sweet. Sweet. That's awesome, uh, JD. I, I thank thanks a lot. I wish you all the best, and and uh, uh, I would love to stay in touch and uh, follow up and see, you know, how things progress with this this portfolio that you're you're growing and, and building. It's awesome.
1: Thanks, Omer. If you hear of anybody selling an app, let me know. <laughs> I
0: will. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're selling an app, just go and talk to JD. <laughs> Cheers.